Scott from Gaming and BS. You're listening to Habs and Friends. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Hobbs and Friends. I am your host, Jason Hobbs, and today I have a returning guest. I thought I'd be able to keep him away, but I couldn't. So here we have Brett B., Brett Blazinski, Mr. B. How you doing, Brett? Not too bad, man. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. See, you're laughing already. This is no, awesome. I just, you, you did my last name correctly. That's amazing. <laughs> I'm, I'm 45, and it's been butchered almost my entire life. So props to you, sir. Very you know good. what I say? The sun shines up a dog's ass every, every once, in, once a in a while. Yep. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so for those of you who don't know, and there may be some people, uh, Brett is uh, the co-host of Gaming and BS. He's the B in BS, so he's lucky not to be the shit. Oh, and, yeah. Well, uh, well, you know, Sean, Sean's the shit, man. He's, he's the shit. Without Sean, there is no show. So I've told him that before. <laughs> does he believe you? I'm sure Sean does believe oh, you, actually. Well, he does, because <laughs> watch me watch me fiddle fuck around where I can't figure out how to record anything or do anything. I'm just lucky I know how to work a microphone. All right. Brett is also a member of the Wednesday evening podcast, All Stars, which uh, is solely actual plays, right? Yeah, so that is, is let's see, Tom Flanagan and I tonight, Andy from She's a Super Geek, and uh, Chris from uh, Misdirected Mark. We started gaming together. We just did the math. Um, this last week we were together for, we've been gaming uh, now for four years, or three he years. Three years. You, he didn't mean to leave you out, Kevin. I'm positive. Kevin's there too. Oh, good God. I forgot Kevin. I'm thinking of shows. I'm thinking of shows. Oh, my God. <laughs> see, the thing is, is, I've gamed with Kevin now for almost... 15 god it's gotta be almost 20 years which is funny because in my home group kevin kevin when he's able to make it, he's there and i mentioned something to my wife while back i said well one of the new guys you know like kevin she's like kevin's been with you for 20 years when does he stop being the new guy i'm like i don't know maybe someday fng <laughs> never goes away until another fng shows up it's like one at of those 20th pass right <laughs> exactly at the 20th anniversary for my uh, home gaming crew we gave him a red shirt because <laughs> nice. he's the new guy. He got a red shirt. You guys oh. have, you guys had a 20th year anniversary for my gaming group. Yeah. Wow. That's a pretty big 20th anniversary interesting, party. man. Yeah. I started so in 1990. I started in 91 with him on the 20th anniversary. I brought back um, my vampire game and we played a really long vampire session that night. It was a lot of fun. What, what happens oh, when, uh, <laughs> what happens when you're doing a 20th year? Is just vampire the whole time? That was it? Oh, for that game? For that, yeah. The whole thing was one massive, I think I ran for like 12 hours or something like that. It was fun. Oh, all right. Sounds fantastic, man. <laughs> it was a hell of a good time. That's great. Uh, so uh, the first series in the uh, Wednesday evening, do you guys call it Weepa sometimes or no? Yeah, Weepas is usually easier. Okay, Weepas. So the first one was Streets of Avalon itself, and you were GMing that. And, and is that kind of one of the adventures that spurred uh, our main topic or what? Yeah, so what had happened was we had gotten together. I'd had the Avalon setting for many years, and I'd gotten together with you know Kevin and Chris and, and Andy and Tom. We were just running different games. Chris had started off running a game, um, ran a Ravenloft game, and one of the other guys, Mark Napick, was originally playing with us. Mark couldn't make it anymore, so I pulled Kevin in because he's a kick-ass gamer. And we were talking about different things to do. And I said, I'd like to run if you guys are willing to run in this world I made. And Kevin's like, I've played in this before. I had a lot of fun. Totally support it. So I gave, uh, gave the crew some <clears throat> little bit of reading homework. Hey, check this out. See what you think. Everybody was into it. And then I ran it. And we had really good, very, very good um, 
feedback from listeners, people who like actual play podcasts were like, wow, this is really cool. I like, I like to know more about it. Chris did a great job editing it, kind of making it more, a bit of audio drama. There's some sound effects, but it's not like overpowering. So it's, it was really cool. We also tried to make sure we were using the five E rule set, tried to call that stuff out as we went through you know, to keep it a little actual play E. But if you're listening to it, like, how do I play this game? How do I play five E? No, it's more of a, how does the Avalon setting feel is it's a good way to kind of get your grip on it. But yeah, uh, listened, it was, it was uh, a ton of fun. I actually listened to that. It's probably the only, um, actual play I've ever listened to. You just did so, that for me. You hate them. You hated it. Maybe, you just did it for me. Maybe. Maybe it was just for you. I don't know. But I was going to say, I, you were talking. I was like, wait, hold on. Back up. I had something to say, and, and now I lost it. It was something in the beginning there. I, I don't remember. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we'll hold off on that a little bit because that's what our main topic's about. I usually talk about how we know each other. Some of the listeners probably have heard this before since you've been on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, but we met at Game Hole Con through a very unfortunate association, I believe. Yes, Sean Kelly. So yeah. that's just how it works. But yeah, so I bump, I bump into you there. And then we, um, then I go to Game uh, Gary Con, see you there. And mm-hmm. shit, we're just like, wow, I'm thinking that guy's a cool dude. I hope I can hang out with him. And uh, <laughs> we all just started hanging out. And, um, you know, this is, you know, had a few beers hanging out and it wasn't like, you know, oh my God, we got hammered. We're best friends now. But it was just really cool because a lot of the people you knew and the types of games you like to run, the things you're into, um, intelligent conversation, a lot of good, a lot of good, uh, a lot of good fun there. And when it all got done, we're like, damn, we got to get back together. So when the opportunity presents itself, the, these local conventions, we always make sure we get back together and hang out, even if yeah. it's just getting coffee or lunch or something. For sure. We have done that in the past. And at GameholeCon, we are lucky enough to have uh, our booth side by side every year now. <laughs> yeah, that's like a buddy of mine is uh, doing some podcast stuff as well. And Chad was saying, hey, do you think I get next to you? I'm like, good luck, pal. He goes, why? I said, because you have to fight Hobbs. I said, because we have an arrangement. This is how this works. <laughs> there, so, we, we have a strong overlap, obviously, because I started listening to you and Sean and you guys helped me you know, get this podcast going really. So. Well, thank uh, you. I mean, we got, I mean, through you, I now know Kojo. I know more people um, just across the different, the hex talk stuff that you guys do that, you know, all those cool people. I'm going to, I'm going to stop naming names because I'm going to miss somebody. I'm going to feel like a jackass. <laughs> but a lot of your listeners have given us some cross listening and, and vice versa. And I know somebody probably has listened and said, I don't like Brent Sean. I like Hobbs. That's awesome. And vice versa. Probably has happened. Don't care. The cool thing is, is when we're at the con, we all, everybody gets along. It's as great. The Venn diagram is kind of a circle. (laughs) It's just two overlapping circles. Yeah. Everyone just kind of hangs out together. Well, we always, by the end of the con, the whole, the window is open between our area anyway, and people are walking back and forth. So it's it's just one mega booth. Uh, yeah. So if you haven't, you know, get your ass to game hole count and your friend's ass. Absolutely. All right. So, uh, uh, we'll talk a little bit about what we've been playing. So have you been playing anything or what, what's going on? So lately I have not been running as much as I had for years. It was kind of crazy. A buddy of mine started a star Wars D six game. So I've been playing that. We took a bit of a hiatus because of a hunting season. I'm a hunter. So that kind of got in the way. So D six star Wars, um, a 5e campaign with my buddy running the um, Temple of Elemental Evil, a new one for the 5e setting, doing that. And then I 
two little kids at home with me, AJ and Lana wanted to play. I said, you guys want to play? Like, what do you want? And AJ was talking. He said, hey, we should run that Osric game that we ran in the past. I said, you got it. So we started a little Osric campaign at home. That was a lot of fun. And then at Game Hole Con, I ran, I did run again, finally, um, for adults. <laughs> I ran um, a Trail of Cthulhu game, which was a lot of fun. And then um, my uh, one of my Avalon adventures. Oh, I did. I was at Queen City Conquest, too, earlier in the year. But, you know, like, at-home gaming, it's been um, more playing than GMing, which is kind of a cool break for a while. Yeah, that's. I, there's nothing wrong with playing, man. I I think you should be as good a player as you are a GM, if possible, because you can always learn both things from either direction. So, oh yeah, the other piece. Just so once again, so I don't forget, Kevin. Kevin was running an Avalon setting game for uh, he, Chris, Tom, Andy, and I, and it went over really, really well. It was a hell of a good time. So I got to play in it. That's the only the second time I've ever played in my own setting. So that was that's always interesting. For sure. How often did it drive you crazy? Never. Good. Kevin has game. Kevin's game with me a long time. He's been in the setting for a very long time. And um, he did a really cool thing. He was very nice of him. He said, hey, I would like to do this, this, and this. Does that make sense? Does that fit? I'm like, dude, it's your world too. Do what you got to do. You're not breaking any rules. Go for it, man. And uh, he made a really, he made a really good um, plot, different story hooks and things. And it was fun. It was a hell of a good time. So he did a really great job. I'm assuming that's an editing and is going to come out on the... Uh uh, we pass pretty soon or what? Yeah, it's got to hit. It, it's got to hit at some point. I know Chris is frantically editing that plus managing Kickstarter stuff with the rest of the encoded crew. So they're busy, but awesome. that will come out on the we pass stuff. So, yeah. All right. So now it's time for everything about you, Brett. Do you remember this segment? A little bit. All right. So, you know, I hate everything about you. You got one <laughs> thing, one thing about yourself that maybe my listeners don't know. Okay, what about me that maybe listeners don't know? Uh, da, 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 da. Do you want me to start? Yeah, you start. I'm going to think here. You start. All right, all right, I'll start. So I find myself edging back into Kickstarter. I had to back your Kickstarter, of course. Well, thank I, you. I had stopped. I mean, I didn't do like the latest DCC thing. I didn't do uh, the Hyperborea Kickstarter. I didn't do quite a few of them, but... I find myself doing that. I just did the uh, throwy games, uh, those two modules. I did the low fantasy gaming. Now I did this one. Pretty soon my wife is going to say, hey, I thought we stopped doing Kickstarter. (laughs) What the hell happened to our credit card? What the hell did you do, boy? Why why aren't you paying for your uh, podcast stuff anymore? I thought you had a Patreon to pay for those things. Well, I kind of, I kind of took that and threw it away. That's what I did. But look at the stuff. (laughs) Look at all this awesome stuff. So I have a totally non-gaming related thing. I don't like horses and horses tend not to like me. I have never had a good experience with horses ever. Wow. That's interesting. Yeah. I, I, I can't tell if I, I look at them like, you know, they're made of meat (laughs) or something or what the problem is. I just, when I, when I see them, I get nervous and jittery around them and I'm pretty sure they can tell. Yes. And which, because they're a flight animal, they're like, whoa, dude's nervous and jittery. So I'm my own worst enemy in that case, but I am not a fan of horses. I can understand that for sure. I grew up with horses, so I'm very, very familiar with them. Oh, did you? I did not. Well, there's something I didn't even, I got two for, uh, for you. I didn't even know you grew up with horses, man. Yeah, I did. And that's why, uh, sometimes you'll hear people make fun of me because, uh, Back in the day when I used to drink, when we'd be gaming, like playing Black Powder, Black Magic or a Western game, and people would say something about horses and I'd be like, 
that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. There's no way a horse would ever do that. Or you really do know that uh, a mule is. Uh, <laughs> you became that guy. Yes, I, I am. Yeah. One of my favorite things to do in fantasy games when people have horses is I desperately try to remind them that horses are not herbivorous bicycles. Um, <laughs> they, there's, a, there's a hell of a lot more to them. They're skittish. They do crazy ass shit. And there's more than one story of some nobleman out doing something. The horse saw something and it flipped over and killed the guy. So, I mean, it's just, yeah, they're, they're, they're a peculiar animal and they're, they take, you know, not understanding how to ride a horse. It's not easy to do. It does not feel good. I've actually had a horse rear up and uh, land on top of me over backwards Jesus. before. And it was, uh, it wasn't a fun experience. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, I'm not going to, you're not Phil Vecchio and I'm not getting into a big horse blacksmith conversation with you for like 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. So let's move on to the main topic. Insert main topic music here, Craig. That's awesome. <laughs> let's, uh, let's talk about the elephant in the room. Brett has a Kickstarter and it's called Streets of Avalon. So I asked some of my uh, friends today, hey, I'm having Brett B on the show. Uh, and I want, what's your first question? Well, the first question was, who the fuck is Brett B? All right. I'm gonna Which happens. I get that a lot. I get that a lot. <laughs> Second question. Uh, why is it named Avalon? So the main reason it's named Avalon is because, so Jason, what's the first thing you think about when I, if I say Avalon fantasy, do you, th what do you think? Uh, to me, it was, uh, isn't there a Mercedes lackey book that's called Avalon mm -hmm. or something that miss, miss of, miss, miss of, Avalon. of Avalon. That was mine, but, uh, there's a men of Avalon book by Clark Ashton Smith and someone else. So one of those two things, King Arthur. Yep. So it has the Arthurian legend piece. It has a uh, fairy. It also has this tendency to be thought of as a, uh, I don't want to say it in, even in bits of from uh, Rod, Rogers Lasney, <coughs> excuse me, his Amber series, the Avalon concept is this place. It's this wonderful fey location where things are beautiful and or a place that once was that if only we could regain. So Avalon itself, it, it tends to evoke, at least myself and my friends, that it was a beautiful thing. And the city itself of Avalon may have at one point, and it was indeed ages and ages back, very beautiful, but it is now not that at all. It is a decaying relic and husk of what was once great. And um, so it's starting that kind of fought for the gray Mauser, which was an inspiration for me, kind of that decadent collapse um, after growing to a point where it's past its own carrying capacity almost because it's so damn big and so crazy. And things just start to kind of feed back in on itself. I love dark, gritty fantasy. So this is just kind of my way to bring all of that vampire, the masquerade gaming I used to do into a fantasy city setting. Because I love running D&D uh, &D games in cities and or fantasy games of any kind, honestly, in, in cities. Because I think they're just these wonderful places that there's so much activity that, that can happen in the city. And having it be kind of a crumbling place means there's plenty of um abandon abandon this what's in the sewers what's in the old Bafford estate what's over in this place how come the magistrates want to do this street crime thieves monsters all this stuff in a confined location is just pretty cool so that's why that is cool so i would like to say that uh, the email for any hate mail for any osr guys complaining about talking about vampire the masquerade on the show 
Uh, my email is brett at gamingmbs.com. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, I've actually, uh, I never played Vampire. I owned almost all the books at the time for the first edition, but never actually played the game. Uh, but that sounds great. So you've pretty much answered kind of the boilerplate, I'm assuming. So mm-hmm. this is, uh, you're actually showing up somehow in the designers now because you're a designer. So we can talk about uh, some stuff about design process. But first, why in the hell would you ever want to write a gaming book? Because <laughs> it's fun. <laughs> um, so I have put, I started writing this because my friends would be like, I want to know more about the world. And so I build things. We had a wiki. I would put stuff out there. I would take it, try to compile it, put it into different Word documents, share it with my friends. I've always toyed with the fact it'd be really cool to have this in a hardcover book or even a soft cover, maybe a spiral bound, whatever I could afford to do this and give it to my friends because we played here. We spent many years real time creating some amazingly cool stories with the with their player characters, Newton, Beecher and Ulf and um, oh my God, Muddy Joe and Kazarni and this, these crazy characters that we had. It was so much fun. And I'm not talking crazy like Dungeon Crawl Classics when I think, you know, kind of that gonzo crazy. I'm just thinking this the... The things that happen, like, oh, my God, that was just so cool. Again, you had to be there for those things. And I'm regaling you all with PC stories. I'll pour the <laughs> shit out of you. But I always wanted to do this. And then I got in a position where I started running it for more people who were not in my core gaming group. And I would run with um, a new group of guys I was gaming with from a couple of jobs ago. And they said, have you ever thought about publishing this? I'm like, no, not really. Why? Like, this is really good. This is a lot of fun. We like this. I would buy this game. I would buy this setting. Okay, cool. I started working it around just keeping that in the back of my head and then working with um, the code design team, getting to know those guys and talking with um, Sean Merwin. And he's like, no, dude, this is cool. We can do this. This would be this would be a fun thing to do. So on a really personal level, I have been gaming since I'm 45. I've been gaming since I was in third grade. I've never stopped. It's been something I've been doing a part of my life for longer than almost anything else in my entire life. And um, I would love to have a gaming book with my name on it that somebody would pick up and say, this was fun. And I'm sure someone else is going to pick it up at some point and say, this sucks. This is the worst piece of shit anybody's ever. Well, who did? Someone's going to hate it. I don't care. But my hope is that somebody somewhere picks it up and says, this was fun. And I say, did you play it? They say, well, I actually stole stuff from it from my own world. I'll be just as happy. And if somebody says, I did play it, I really liked it. And I've made Avalon my own. And this is how I blew it up. I'd be like, crazy. You fucking maniac that's awesome you know I, I wouldn't i wouldn't mind at all but it's because i want to i think it would be fun and i would like to give something creative that i've made to the hobby and um i'm not doing i sure as hell aren't doing it for the money i was about to say i'm no- pretty sure you're planning on making a bunch of money on it that's the whole reason oh oh yeah i'm gonna quit my day job yeah i'm a, I'm a director for global infrastructure for a multi-billion dollar company. I'm going to quit that so I can do this full time. And that's not a bragging thing. It's just like, we all have real jobs, right? Uh, at least, at least a lot of us do. And I'm like, I have a thing I'm doing. I'm not quitting that to do this. Well, well my boss, my wife and I are not ready to, <laughs> my wife and I are not thinking about taking me and our five kids and two dogs living in a tent. That's not going to happen. So that's awesome. And I mean, I think that's kind of the dream of all of us. Then when we grew up playing D and D, no matter how old we are, or what kind of system we play, I think there's a, an idea there that, hey, this is fun. I bet you other people would like to play it too. Um, 
I'll tell you, that's part of the, the whole OSR component. You and I have talked about this before, the whole do-it-yourself piece and some of the coolest stuff that that mentality has brought to. And it, honestly, the gaming community's had it for a very, very long time. I got a really neat idea. It's called Twilight 2000. I have a really good idea. It's called this other thing. You know, we have all this cool stuff. Traveler. Oh, my God. Th- somebody had a really cool idea and thought this would be neat, you know, and uh, it's not my buddy Alex Cameron, the guy, who, one of the owners and um, directors for GameholeCon. He and his buddies like Josh and so forth, they produce 5e gaming materials, too, and they partner up with Ed Greenwood and other people to, to do some of this. But Alex isn't in it for the money. He does it because he loves doing it. And it's fun and it's cool to make something, get it out there and have somebody use it. You know, and when I talk to people who build stuff like this within the OSR community, the do it yourself space, that's why they're doing it. I built this really cool thing. I hope somebody finds joy in it, too. That's all it's for, man. Yeah. And if only one other person says, hey, this adventure looks cool. I'm actually going to run it at Evercon and I'm going to use this system. That makes you feel pretty darn cool. I mean, I don't have a Kickstarter or anything like that. I got a few zines out there, but, you know, uh, Saul's Weedle said he signed up his events and they're one of them is he's running my uh, adventure from the DCC adventure, but he's using his own homebrew system. And I was like, Hey, that is super cool, man. Go crazy. Have a ball. So it is cool. Uh, it's, uh, it's almost, I mean, hard you, to you've run into somebody, yeah. you run into somebody who has, who has taken something like I'll see my kids, my kids will be playing, you know, hear AJ run in a game. I'll be walking by when he's running at the game club at school or something. He'll do something. I'm like, I know where he got that from. <laughs> I did that to him. Uh, I totally know where he got that from. That's so freaking cool. Or Ilana, my daughter, will be doing something. She's like, hey, I remember that time you did this thing with the goblin. So I totally did that to the girls I was playing with. They had so much fun. It, it's, it's that stuff. That's just, that's awesome. Yeah, that's hard to uh, put into words almost. Uh, how, you know, humbling and how gratifying it is to hear that at the same time. Absolutely. All right. So, man, I don't know. You talk about playing Osric and other games, and you've mentioned the OSR a few times. What's what's up with making Avalon 5e? So I love Dungeons and Dragons. The only version of D&D that I've played that I did not enjoy was fourth. I know that's cliche because lots of people hated it. Um, I played it and from my perspective, I'm like, wow, really solid game from a balanced perspective. Holy shit. The most balanced version of d and I've ever seen, at least in my opinion. Not my thing, <laughs> but I love the components, the way 5e turned, in my opinion, where D&D went from being so um, like Pathfinder, we call it now, right? The 3.0 and the 3.5. It was fun for a time uh, for me, but I like the little more freewheeling, if you will. And I love some of the mechanics that 5e has. It's also, I mean, quite frankly, if you want to get people's attention, you say, hey, it's 5e compatible. That's kind of a basis. It is the most popular role playing game out there. It makes sense um, just from a marketing perspective. But if I didn't like the game, I sure as hell wouldn't do it. Yeah, I play a lot of 5e and I have a hell of a good time doing it. And I have found that it's it has this OSR toolboxy feel to me. And by that, I mean, I can run a 5e game in my Avalon setting without having to have a very strict, um, you know, how do I want to say, uh, initiative order. I can do it a little loosey goosey. I can actually play it almost like a dungeon world initiative, you know, where it's kind of just how things flow and so on. I can, uh, have that unbalanced feel that you get in your old school, uh, Osric style game where <laughs> you hope to God that the, 
that there's a way out because you don't seem to figure out a way to kill the, you can't kill the golem. You might as well run. How the hell do we get away from it? It's too big for us. I can pull all that stuff off and, and I can take the things in 5e. I love the warlock class. The warlock class fits really well in the Avalon setting with the otherworldly reaching out to powers beyond where you're at. It just, um, and I've run it in that, with that rule set for a while now, and it's really settled in quite nicely. I believe, uh, and Coda and I were talking about this, and Chris and I were chatting about specifically. I said, you know, at some point, if this thing works, and it looks like it's working, and we, we funded and all that, uh, at some point, it would be really cool to say, hey, this is how I would do it. With, uh, this is how I have done it with Osric. Hey, this is how I've done it with basic role playing. I have another gamer buddy of mine said, hey, I might savage that sucker up because I really like Savage Worlds. And I want to pull that world that you because he played it with me. He loves the world, but he really likes running Savage mm-hmm. Worlds. He's like, I could totally savage that sucker up. And we've talked about that. Like, hey, how do I take it? You know, another piece, a PDF you could produce for next to nothing and throw out on on drive through and say, hey, if you're into this, here's a your crib sheet, you know, how to make it Osric yeah, compatible or something like action. that, which could be a lot of fun. Yeah. A little conversion yeah, action. That would be, sweet. be a lot of fun. That's so that let's, let's talk about maybe some of the design process with 5e. Like, uh, I obviously haven't read it, but you wrote it. So you have, is there, are there like, do you have some class, like different classes or different species or races that you're using or like what, uh, how, have, how have you hacked 5e? to fit Avalon or did you hack Avalon to fit 5e? Ah, good question. So what I started doing was one of the pieces. So from a, a stretch goal perspective, we've been, we've been messing with an urban ranger and different variations on that. Um, we also looked at different, the way the different classes, 5e has a lot of magic, a lot of powers that the classes have. And I tend to limit that stuff in my Avalon settings. So what we try to do is say, Hey, if you're going to run these things, you know, this is where you nerf this component of it. Um, I looked at it and I wanted to, if I'm going to produce a setting book, instead of having to put a ton of energy and time into saying, okay, um, here's a brand new race, here's a brand new whatever. The way I had built this originally, and I didn't even do it from a marketing perspective, was I have the races within Avalon. We have commoners or humans, so it just translates directly to human. Outlanders. Outlanders are either humans or half-orcs by, you know, how you'd roll them up in the game system. There are bargemen, which are halflings. Um, nobles are half-elves. Nobles don't, the concept of being of elven blood and so forth, they see that as part of their nobility. Um, dwarves and full elves are not player character classes or races, excuse me. We don't have um, tieflings or dragonborn and that type of thing. So that gets, I just pulled that out as it doesn't fit. Then even with classes, we said, look, these classes fit just fine. There are no sorcerers in Avalon. Throw that out. When I've played it with Pathfinder, like no oracles, no summoners. This doesn't fit. This doesn't fit. And just taking it down to saying, look, these things work the best. Um, and then making sure we just hit our second stretch goal is about the firearms because I use flint locks and percussion cap style uh, weapons within the city. So I'll take the, the notes and the write-ups I have, tune it up better as part of that stretch goal and make it so that people can use guns within the setting, because that's, that's a piece of it. So I think, I think to, to overall answer your question is that I have had Avalon for almost 15, 20 years, I think at this point, if I did the math right, I've had it for a long time. 
And 5e had such pieces to it that I could be like, oh, I don't need that. I don't need that. I don't need that. I'll take these pieces of it. Yeah. So it definitely sounds like you hacked 5e, not the other way around, which I think that's fantastic. Uh, That is one of the aspects of fifth edition that I think is better because it's a lot easier to hack than um, fourth or third, just because they, you know, there's not so many tight mechanisms inside the game. It's all modular, right? Isn't that, that was like what they were selling to begin with. Yeah. So. It, it, it feels a lot more modular to me. I mean, I was talking to one of our gaming BS listeners. He would asking me about possibly taking, he liked the skills and the way they worked in five. He's like, do you think I could port those directly over to a second edition DD game? I'm like, fuck yeah, I think you can. I think that would, I don't think that worked that. I think it worked pretty well. Yeah. I don't think it'd be that hard to make that work. The other piece I did like with the skills is that I like the gumshoe system with Trail of Cthulhu and, um, um, and other games in that, in that space work on the Esoteris and a few others. And one of the things that it does is it gives you clues um, kind of automatically, excuse me. Um, yeah, it gives you clues automatically based on using your skills in the right place at the right time. So people who are really good at something don't have to say, well, I rolled a two. I guess I'm, I'm screwed. I don't get something. So one of the mechanical components that Chris and I are working on and then also bouncing off of guys like Sean Merwin is to go through and say, okay, the way Brett runs investigations with Avalon, because you're digging into a conspiracy, you're digging into something, you're really trying to figure out a plot, what would a mystery of some kind. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of gaming is about mysteries, but in a, in a 5e perspective, if I'm, any skill on that list is, can be used to help you investigate something. How could somebody have possibly climbed this wall? This doesn't make any sense. Well, give me an acrobatics check. You roll and you say, I got a six. So what I have is I have a slight, basically it's a scale that says two to 10, you get a certain amount of information, 10 to 14, the next 15 to here and 20, you get all the goods. And one is that one chance that you absolutely bloody fail and you just can't freaking remember. But the player who rolls a six, I can say, well, you know, you think it would be possible for a highly skilled acrobat to be able to basically parkour up these walls to get to the, to the roof. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Yes. Or if they're running into something else, what, what is this potion? Well, you know, give me an arcana check and it might not tell you everything. They'll say, well, what you know is and I can give you something to help keep the, help keep the story moving. Much like a lot of us used to do with uh, call of Cthulhu and stuff is kind of feeding bits and pieces to keep the game going. Yeah. So it makes sense instead of using the pass fail of the D 20 mechanic where most people would think you're, Adding, you know, like uh, just shifting difficulty classes, right? That's almost what you're talking about. Yeah, it's pretty much that's, yeah, that's another way to look at it. And it's just, um, it's a style of play. You could, I have had other people um, successfully run games that I've been part of, or like they run a similar investigative style approach, but it's pass fail. I got buddies of mine who love uh, Call of Cthulhu old school. Where if you screw up, you don't get the clue and everything goes pear-shaped and the world explodes because <laughs> Cthulhu rises. That's just how it freaking goes, man. That's the uh, that's the nihilism of the yeah. world. Off you go, I kids. I know you've actually covered this in your show, the idea of, I don't remember what you called it, but it was basically not the pass-fail mechanic, but uh, you know rates of success or something on a pass normally pass-fail game. And uh, that's awesome, I think. I have one other question about uh, game design for Avalon. So... I think one of the questions that people ask if you've been gaming for a long period of time, there's different processes in order to explain what uh, this a city or an urban environment is like. Like you got the city state of the uh, Invincible Overlord where they mapped every single yep. building or sanctuary. They did something like that. 
or you kind of have. Well, hell, they did it for Waterdeep, man. They did it for okay. Waterdeep where they, you got, I have, I have some of the Waterdeep box sets from second edition. There's some pretty detailed stuff yeah, out there. So uh, I would say one of the more uh, recent, and I guess it isn't that recent because it's an old way as well, but basically using random tables to kind of decide what's going on. Uh, did you use one of those two methods or did you come up with your own to kind of help say where things are in Avalon? So the idea of the city is it's uh, of the city itself is kind of this vague concept of size where you're know, like 50 miles across, 75 miles wide. Oh, my God, it's fucking huge. How would you ever get from one point to another? And we've talked about it and actually mapping it down to the house, to the street does not make sense. I want to be able to give the game masters and players tools to make Avalon their own. So I'm working through the random encounter charts. You know, how, how does the, if you're going down a street, you're in a, you're in an alleyway, you're on a roof walk, you're in the sewers, you're in the basement, you're in a nobleman's house, you're at something else, you know, all these different types of charts to try to help. But the other piece we're doing is building it so that one of the things you have, and I, I think we'll succeed. I think I, I like what we've done and I really, I really, I'm very, very happy with how it's turning out. And you get there and you say, look, here's a here's a formula to create a neighborhood. You know, this is how this functions. This is how you you build these components and this is how they work. This is how you build a plot around those pieces and how you try to draw and connect things together. So we're trying to do is give templates backed up by examples to game masters and players so they will understand like, hey, this is how you make this thing. And um how you can take it then and then work it around. I tell you that the southern section of the city is the dock ward, the southern area, because it's a large um, seaport. This is the type of things that are there. On the east and west gates, this is the type of things that happen here. The north is the noble quarter. These are the types of things that are there. The center of the city where the major clock tower is, this huge Big Ben-style clock tower, that's there. And these are the types of things that are commonly found around there. So now here's a template. Here's some guiding principles. You can start to build this stuff. And we have examples within so that people don't. So if you sit down, you should be able to grab the book and say, I want to start playing. I don't want to. I don't know if I want to make my own. Can I work off of something? Yes. There's stuff in the books that you can work off of. Cool. It. That's what we're trying to get yeah, to. I would be interested in trying to use Edgar Johnson's uh, neighborhood gangs you know, urchin gangs and travel across the city. Cause in some ways it reminds me of uh, all of those, you know, unknown size cities like Urhadad or Chromarium or all those, you know, just stories about well, pick me, city, me, you the, know? think about like Los Angeles, Los Angeles and New York city, the urban sprawl and all the different burbs and things are all mashed into it. shit dude, Chicago, yeah. not only just Chicago, but everything else who has ever walked every street in Chicago that, you know, yeah. you know, Good Lord. And you could, I mean, when I ran, I learned this hardcore when I was running Vampire in the Chicago, as it was our setting. We Chicago by night. And that was the book we all dove into. And it took 15 years of gaming to crack the, what we felt was the bulk of that area. Mm-hmm. It was a long, it's, it's just so much stuff. You go over here, you go over there, you're in, you're in the lake, you're back here, you're by the river, you're over by this section of the packing plants. And there's just so much stuff. And, um, and the nice thing with a fantasy city like this is you can go up, right? There's towers, there's homes, there are um, Whatever, mansions yeah. and estates, you know, a little hill. And then there's a graveyard with a liche, the clerics that tend that have their corpse carts that pick up the dead from the streets. They take them to the burial grounds. What's buried there? Oh, yeah, there's a sewer system that the Brotherhood, the guilds, it's a very guild heavy environment just to try to coordinate and organize the city. So the sanitary excavators run 
the entire river Styx, which is the river that runs beneath Avalon, how they organize it, try to make sure there's fresh water and all that. On top of that, you have the lost dwarven city of Thorbrandor, which is pretty much what Avalon was originally built next to originally and started to grow on top of over the Shut decades. Shut the front door. And yeah, so you can go down, you can go up, you can go out. So you've got all this stuff you can do, right? So it's not like I'm just walking across my hometown where, you know, uh, there's I can either go east, west, north, without south. That's about it. No, you go up, down, left, right, pretty much any direction you want to go, which is the cool part uh, for me about city adventures. A lot of times people think, well, I just go. I, I'm a thief. I steal some stuff. What else is there? Oh, man, there's so much stuff. And you can I do. think a lot of people like the idea of urban adventures, but they don't necessarily know how. And it sounds like you have some uh, mechanics or some mechanisms that you're including that maybe people could use uh, to make any city or any neighborhood in a large city or something similar. So that sounds fantastic. Yeah, I, th- I think the examples and the templates we're trying to, you know, I'm trying to make sure work is something that, like I said, if you picked it up and said, wow, this is really cool. I'm going to put this over here. Right. So. I, I back the, the Goodman Games Lankmar stuff. I love Far From the Grey Mouser. So when they put out the Lankmar box set, I'm like, I want it. I'm going to steal something from it. I also like playing DCC and running DCC. So I'm going to have a good time with that too. But I also wanted to have this thing because it's mine and it's very different. It has different creatures, different backgrounds. Um, it, the fact there are no gods. There's no, there are no deities. Clerics cast spells very similar to a wizard. They believe that they're learning or uh, that they're getting things from their God when in fact it's prayer books. It's just study and memorization and so forth. Warlocks are the things that reach outside and make deals with beings that are outside of, you know, the the reality of the world. And uh, there's brain gorgers and crazy ass creatures that live in the shadows and whatnot. (laughs) But it's it's a dark, it's a, I mean, it's not like Lankmar isn't dark, but this is like even down a notch from that just a little more dark a little more shadow there's some really horrible things that happen but i'm trying to make it so that there's places where your characters can shine light you know where you can still be here you have to do pragmatic things you might have to do something that might be morally questionable but in the end you really believe that good can triumph over evil in this one case even if it's small you're going to adventure locally yeah, right what a nice you're being in your neighborhood doing your thing it's just it's it's cool to me because if all you do is run horrible darkness or it it's a very Cthulhu game. Like, okay, that, that game exists to me. You, but if this, if you're trying something here, like I saved the neighborhood and by dint of doing that, there's some good here. I saved this thing. It's yeah, really you cool. You got to have some light or there is no darkness. And I got two things to add to that. Uh, number one, Lieber is Gonzo as hell. Number two, Jeff yeah. Goad, there you go. Your conversations with Brett have made him have the clerics be just like wizards. <laughs> <laughs> it helped. And go, and Jeff, I got to hook up. Jeff, if you listen to this, man, he and I started uh, monkeying around with some like old school Hyborian type of stuff. So at Gary Con, I'm assuming you're going to be there, Jeff. We got to connect and talk in person. He will, brother. He'll be there. I don't know if he's going to listen to it, but we'll make sure he does. All right. So uh, I think this is something kind of near and dear to both of our hearts. Uh, Morris at uh, NWorld is doing an RPG podcast of the year. I have no idea what the difference is between any's and RPG podcast of the year, but I think if any of the listeners check it out, they'll recognize some uh, shows on there and give them a vote. If you want to Hobbs and friends, uh, gaming and BS, uh, hex talk, all those podcasts are on there. So go check 
Yeah. Oh, sweet. I didn't even know it was on there. That's right. neat. And then the way to get on the list is, was to be nominated. So your show was nominated by somebody and you weren't supposed to nominate your own show. So. Oh, neat. Okay. Somebody did. Well, whoever did. Thank, it wasn't thank you. Nice. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. I didn't uh, nominate you either. I can't, I can't barely stop. This conversation is about as I long as I can. 40 minutes. We're getting close, brother. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to take a minute here to show some appreciations to my patrons. Joe Salvador. Talk about Cthulhu. This is the guy that did that Cthulhu white box game, uh, Eldritch Tales. So, Joe, thanks oh, nice. for becoming a, a patron, Joe. I appreciate it. Curtis Takahashi, been a patron, uh, upped his patronage because he knows how awesome I am. No, seriously, Curtis, serious. I really appreciate it. I think he also is a patron of yours. I'm pretty sure I hear. Yes, Curtis, Curtis oh. is good people. He is a, he's, a, he's a superb just gamer human being and uh it's it's an honor to have guys like that uh, back in absolutely here. and uh the mysterious cody m cody maza thanks for being a patron my man uh if you want to become a patron i am at www.patreon.com forward slash osrn hobbs you want to uh throw out your patron there if you know what it is <laughs> Ah, so go to patron.com. You look up gaming NBS. You can't miss us. We're out there. That's right. That is the only patron that Jason Hobbs follows. Hobbs and friends follows a couple, but that's the only one Jason Hobbs follows. So, and I have for a long time. All right. So if people wanted to uh, find out the difference between your Avalon and their Avalon, Brett, how would they get a hold of you? Well, let's see here. One good place to go is our Kickstarter. So if you go to Kickstarter and look up the streets of Avalon, you will find it. Um, as of today, the 19th, when we record this, we got 28 days left. And uh, we had a $3,000 goal, and we blew through that the first day and the first stretch goal. So we got a couple more stretch goals left. I'm looking at it right now. I'm at 48, 48. So going strong. It's really, really cool and uh, incredibly humbling. But go there. You're going to find... A lot of good detail. People have asked questions in the comments section. Um, so you can po- parse through that, kind of see what's in the book and so forth. Um, if you hit me up at um, Brett at GamingNBS.com, that's my email for the that Gaming NBS show. show. That you- was actually weird. Oh, it's totally. <laughs> Brett at GamingNBS, uh, man. Um, I'm on Twitter. What, uh, what the hell am I on Twitter? Fofford? Yeah, Fofford01, as in Fofford the Grand Mouser. Fofford01 is my Twitter handle out there. You can find me, me there. Me, Let's Google see. Plus. MeWe, Google Plus, I'm out there in all those places. Gaming BS is in both of those locations. And even on Facebook, you can find a Gaming BS group out there too. And nice. I am on Facebook personally too. So you on can the find Twitters, me I'm at Hobbs Indeed, and the show is at OSR and Hobbs. You can go to the G Plus community, Hobbs and Friends of the OSR, the MeWe community, Hobbs and Friends of the OSR, uh, Facebook page, Hobbs and Friends of the OSR, or maybe it's just Hobbs and Friends now. I don't know. Anyway, uh, you can find me at any of those places. So, Brett, it looks like you got a gaming convention you could pimp right here before we go if you want. Yeah, Evercon.org. Uh, that is the gaming convention I run in my hometown of Wausau, Wisconsin. It runs the first weekend in uh, January this next year. So we got three days of gaming. If you get out there now, you can get your pre-reg. It's 35 bucks for the weekend. That's Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. We have a lot of it's a lot of really cool games. We have a lot of good, we have a lot of good gamers up there now. Uh, we've we've uh, graduated out from we used to be run at a junior high. We've moved it out to the public eye more. And uh, I think we draw what last year we we're pushing a 1100 people. I think total badges. Oh, we get anywhere between 800, 800 to 1000 people on average. So it's fun. A lot of butts and chairs gaming. We've got second edition stuff, first edition stuff. 
So you got your OSR type of games covered. We got some of the indie game space, a lot of board games, card games. It's it's a heck of a good time. So check it out, evercon.org. If you can make it, it'd be great to see awesome. you there. So thanks everyone for joining us on this trip through Mr. Hobbs's gamerhood. Won't you be my gamer?